This podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box. Patreon is a monthly subscription that you can cancel anytime. And PayPal is a one-time donation. Any amount is appreciated. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The handle, The Beirut Banyan. And you can find us on our YouTube channel with the same name. And you can start watching the episodes as they're released. Thank you for listening. And thank you for watching. I'm Rani Shatah. And this is The Beirut Banyan. It's always a good sign for me where I'm uh, speaking to someone who's equally uh, frustrated with technology. And yes, I enjoyed how we tried setting this up right now. Both of us are a bit sort of amateurish when it comes to yeah. technology. So I, pr- I enjoy this moment myself. It's not frustrating. Yeah. Between an iPad, an iPhone, sometimes microphones yeah, yeah. are not working. Getting the yeah. angle just right. Amateurish me, is an exaggeration in my case. Yeah, it's a thrill for me. It's a learning experience for me. I've done many episodes where people come sort of prepared and they know exactly what they're doing, and I'm the idiot in the room. So I like in a way, it's humbling for me at times. No, no, no. no, Now we have more. We have other idiots, so you don't have to worry about that. Yeah. So, yeah. oh, I, I would like to think otherwise that we're actually the intelligent ones that were too <laughs> too distracted for this nonsense. Yeah, yeah. Can you use this excuse? Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Bashad, more, for many reasons, this is an honor for me. Um, I think my intellectual curiosity started uh, many years ago, just wandering the streets of Hamra. Um, maybe at times. I was going to say at times going to an AUB class, but I don't know if the intellectual curiosity was always there. I think it extended beyond AUB's campus. And uh, there are many conversations I had with friends, with, uh, with professors, that made me think twice about many issues. And although I never took a course with you, uh, you were my master's thesis capstone supervisor, yeah. but I don't think that that's really what I think attracted me uh, to our conversations. I think it goes in reverse. The capstone was sort of just the icing on the cake. There are many occasions I'd be sitting in Hamra, usually at Bread Republic. This is dating ourselves yes. a bit. And yes. we would have friendly exchanges at times Cafe Yunus, or at times literally just running into each other on Jean d'Arc. And uh, I enjoyed those moments immensely. And there's one moment in particular, and I think it fits well to your recent piece, and I'm going to get into this. We were both walking. I believe this is on Bliss Street. Uh, Both of us had sort of a a book sack, and both of us had photocopied uh, versions of this book, (laughs) The Arab Predicament. And we were both kind of sort of a bit cautious the way we were holding it. We're like, you know, do you want to see what I have? Do you want to see what I have? Turned out to be the same book, same exact book. And for me, this is fun because I don't know many people that would be carrying this book, you know, many years after its publication. But I was curious about largely a sort of a controversial author and what he was writing years earlier. You happen to hold the same same book. 
And uh, I think it's quite fitting because the Arab predicament is now literally the Lebanese predicament. And that's the yes. article you recently wrote, yeah, the Center yeah, for exactly. Global Policy. And I don't think that I don't think that title is an accident. I think it's actually uh, deliberate. But but before we jump into that stuff, yeah, uh, it it crossed my mind earlier that we were scheduling this episode on the one year anniversary of the October 17 uprising, and I think it was two weeks or maybe three weeks into the protests. This is shortly after Hadidi resigned, or or just maybe in the days leading up to that resignation. Um. I ran into you in Martyrs Square, and this was late at night. Um, protests were sort of beginning to die down a bit, so this may be maybe towards 11, even midnight. And uh, we were sitting, watching foreign correspondents interviewing all types of protesters, and we had a friendly chat uh, about Hadidi's, in a way, eminent resignation. It was happening or was about to happen. And I shared with you sort of private words that I was going to write to him. And you did something that that was very beneficial. You, in a way, you pushed me. You said, release this. Let it be heard. And I did. I, I put it online. Yeah. It was picked up by Al-Mudun, and it became an article. And I think something happened to me, which was very important. There's no need for any fear. Just say what's on your mind. And I think that's really the backbone of what's happening, that people are, are letting go of uh, many preconceived notions. And also, I think they're testing themselves. And freedom of expression is one of these sort of very important uh, features of the past year. And I haven't spoken to you since. So it's yeah, roughly yeah. a year ago. And then your piece showed up in Center for Global Policy, and I thought I'd reach out. Yeah, and yeah. can you maybe... You no, sorry, please, go ahead. Yeah, you're, you're obviously doing important work in the meantime, so... Uh, I've been you're working... You're not roaming uh, streets of New York for a good reason. Both it's COVID and you're doing something in the, in the meantime. That's true. Actually, this has been the most productive yeah. year of my life. I've, uh, I've worked very hard on uh, trying to capture and reflect on what's happening. And uh, maybe I can gauge your mind and just your immediate reactions to the one-year marker. It lands today. Yeah. Does it have yeah. any any bigger meaning to you as somebody who's seen many protests come and go and has seen Lebanon on its roller coaster during the civil war and after the civil war? D does this occasion have special significance to you more than just that it has been one year and positive things happened, negative yeah. things happened, many unexpected things happened, largely to the detriment of Lebanon? just your reflections on what this anniversary means to you and and whether or not what you were seeing today, this sort of thousands of people showing up once again, trying to protest, trying to push, that this has long-term survivability, or are we witnessing the gradual sort of de-escalation and gradual withdrawal of what we saw a year ago, which was true passion and uh, true certitude on the streets of Beirut? So just your immediate reaction to the one-year anniversary. Yeah, I mean, when when I when the you know demonstrations started and I started going out in the streets, I wasn't an organizer. I was just one of the people who would go there and participate in the activities. I wasn't very hopeful, to, to tell you the truth. Uh, I was a kind of a reluctant protester, not reluctant in terms of the causes, but in terms of the hopes. But I felt that my uh, pessimism about the prospect 
should not stand in the way of participating because mm. I don't want to mm. be saying, okay, I didn't play my role. I can't uh, uh, complain about its failure. Uh, not only because I want to complain, that's not the point. The point is that I felt there's a duty, even if you don't see your uh, chances of success, you have, to, you have to play your role in what you think is a good uh, uh, action. And I thought it was the right action to do, but not with much hope. Now, unfortunately, this now is become vindicated, this attitude, uh, in the sense that the revolution has fizzled out if we don't want to do, use harsher words. It's fizzled out. Today, they had a you know, demonstration next to the port. The crowd was commemorating the, the anniversary of the revolution mm -hmm. uh, in, a, in a significant place where this explosion, you know, historic explosion took place. And, uh, and that's not because anything was accomplished, in a sense. It's not mm -hmm. because people mm -hmm. felt, oh, we got what we want. We no longer want to push harder. It's not like we are the moderates and the radicals. No, nothing. Everybody agrees nothing has been accomplished. And yet uh, uh, the enthusiasm for going out uh, has almost diminished in, in a sense. And not because people are, are, are satisfied. They are, they're, back in, they're in their homes because I think they lost hope in a way or they posed hope, uh, uh, not to say that lost hope completely. Uh, maybe one would say that these things are accumulative things. You know, they they will come out in a different occasion, a different form, and the experience for that this year as well as for the 2015, you know, the garbage uh, protests, they will all add up at some point and culminate in a point that will be more sweeping than what we have seen. This might be the case. I well, I cannot tell. I, I'm not an and I'm not I'm not an inevitableist about victories of the good causes. Sometimes they win, sometimes they lose. Some, sometimes, you know, they got forgotten altogether. And people say, oh, maybe in the long term, things will happen, you know. But, you know, I'm, I'm about the long terms. I'm kind of a Keynesian, you know. In the long term, we all, we all die. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, so so uh, I don't know what the long term is. In the current term, at least, in the present, it, it doesn't look hopeful. It, uh, people seem to reach the conclusion that nothing can be done at the public level, at the political activity level, and people now are seeking their own personal salvation, uh, either by leaving the country or getting their loved ones, young ones, right. leave the country, or by getting to manage through uh, their their crisis uh, on a day by day basis. So. The people, in my opinion, sort of, at least moment for the time being, have given up on a direct political change. No, I, this is a bit of a hypothetical, but yeah, I'm curious from your side. Do you see the 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 gradual sort of uh, diminishing of this movement over the past year, uh, largely to do with things that were not, I mean, impossible to predict, and this includes COVID. And obviously, it includes the blasts. Would you put some maybe onus on those issues or, or those events that any protest movement would have had to overcome severe obstacles given those sort of constraints? Or, or do you think that it's, it would have diminished regardless? 
that that this yeah. is just it wasn't sort of there to begin with and maybe it's diminishing quicker now because of those events but it would have diminished anyway yeah even even signs of protest at home you know at some point there will be you know knocking on pots and pans yeah uh, doing things at home even those things have have diminished that have to do with with covid they are covid friendly activities and i know you know people sing on balconies and uh, do kind and i think people here are not too scared of covid they you know take precaution they wear their masks and they could come out on different locations in reasonable amounts of numbers mm-hmm. i don't think it's a technical issue in that sense it's right. not a health related issue although it might have played a role uh, for sure but i think it was fizzling out before that mm-hmm. uh, in a way i think covid was good for the government to sort of restrict activities but right. also was, was 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 good for the activists because they could sort of way say it's covid oh, we're not we're not out but mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. the spirit uh, uh, the the lack of other alternatives that are as i said covid compatible did not emerge which which indicates something uh, uh about the enthusiasm for the for the for the revolution and and the ch- and change made in, through the revolution through the protest industries have become less that the, the space for this has become narrower and narrower in the minds of people in general while yeah. the while the while the economy keeps on collapsing and the and the anger growing but it's not translating in any way uh, in, in a political form so the backbone really wasn't yeah. there even and i mean beyond the the rage that we saw on the streets beyond the euphoria as well in the first few days that the structure wasn't there to begin with that this was in a way destined to destined to de-escalate at some point and the reason i'm i'm sort of pushing on this is because i think in the background many people that were many people that had witnessed uh, repeated attempts in the past were sort of were sort of ready for failure and i i don't mean it in terms yeah. of not wanting change on the contrary i think yeah, that's yeah. Sort of, that's that's almost accepted now that whether you whether you're sectarian or secular whether you're voting the same politicians in and out doesn't matter i think most people now are on board for some change but but there's this sort of i don't want to say preconceived wisdom maybe that's too much but that there was a there was a lot of a lot of caution at the start saying that this isn't the first time and and nothing nothing really of value has changed yet and until that happens this is probably going to wither away did you sense that even even at the beginning let's say going back to maybe the first week of demonstrations did you yeah feel- yeah people yeah. yeah people were 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 going to the demonstrations also you know like worried that there might not be many people this week because people are not going to go out right. so people were ha- happy to see crowds and they tell each other come come it's a lot of people here you know you're yeah. not be disappointed uh, people wanted it to succeed in that sense but uh, uh, but yes that's a sign of cautious but that happens probably in every demonstration around mm-hmm. the world people mm-hmm. don't know how many people will turn up uh, right. you know re- revolutions generally surprise people uh, they they don't go you know assured Uh, uh, of their of their presence there in mm-hmm. the street and their success however i i think uh, of course there is another merit to these demonstration and and you know activities they might sh- 
shape a generation in some sense. Uh, they might influence the views of people, the experiences. It might change their future behavior. And that, that might be a, 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 something to look forward to in the, in the future. And another turn under different circumstances, right. this, this experience might manifest itself in, in some uh, form or another uh, towards the same aims of evolution, but done at a different time in a different manner. But I think there is a there is a deeper problem about if you want to understand why the revolution fizzled out. Uh, the the question has to start with why do why do we need the revolution in, in a place like Peru to start with? Right. Uh, I mean, this is this is you know where my 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 piece started. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Macron when he came here, the French president. He, he, one of the journalists, after he met with some of the, you know, uh, uh, the, 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 the president and the other uh, politicians, she asked him, why did you meet with those people, corrupt people? Uh, and he said to her, look, I didn't vote for them. You voted for them. So, so they represent you. Now, the question is, why do, in a democracy like Lebanon, why do we need a revolution? Usually in democracy, you might have a demonstration uh, to express your anger at something, but then you translate this in the elections. And the demonstration right. usually is either to demand early elections or to send a signal to the ruling party or parties that we are not happy. If you don't change your behavior, we want to throw you out in the next elections. It's a signal, uh, uh, since you can't have elections every day to test the uh, people's right. Uh, opinions you you give signal through demonstrations now but in a country like Lebanon where you have people are capable of voting why is it they are not capable of using that to communicate their desires through representation and after all when the series demonst- uh, 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 went out the street what they wanted is to have the right to vote genuine vote mm-hmm. uh, uh, and then they will be able to express their will through the vote and that happens in other in other cases in, 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 in most revolutions around the, the day we, we know about, usually uh, revolutions happen for one or several reasons. One of them is that the people think that the votes were rigged. Huh? Right. This is, yep. this is the Belarusian one. This is yep. the Iranian one, 2009. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, this this was also the 2004 Ukrainian one yes, that the votes yes. are rigged, uh, and that's we we demand a proper count of the vote. Mm-hmm. We don't have a demonstration against rigged votes here. Uh, we we had right, an election right. 2018. Uh, there were a lot of anti-establishment groups. Uh, they failed to uh, to win more than one seat. They there were talks about two seats they could have won had it not been for rigged uh, 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 voting or fraud. So mm-hmm. this will, at the best scenario, from the point of view of those who are rigged, it will, it will be three votes out of 128, uh, three seats out of 128 seats in the parliament, right. which is dismal uh, in a, for, for a country that at that point, people were very dissatisfied with the performance of the uh, existing political parties. Now. So the rigged vote issue is not an issue. People are not out to ask for proper counting of their votes. Mm-hmm. Now, in other cases, like in Venezuela, for example, uh, the parliament was won by the opposition. 
actually the National Assembly right. is yeah. the majority and they voted as a president Guaido, who is an, who is an opposition. Mm-hmm. What the Maduro regime did is that used the Supreme Court. The opposition won the parliament and Maduro uh, cancelled, annulled the, uh, uh, the, the uh, uh, decision of the parliament to uh, consider the, the second term of uh, Maduro unconstitutional mm-hmm. void by the Supreme Court. So here we have democracy taking place and people voting for opposition and the regime right. crushes this down. Neither of this happens. They couldn't, the opposition in 2018 couldn't make any real advancement in, in the elections. And they didn't, the claim wasn't that the votes were rigged. So what, why is it that the Lebanese are unable, despite their dissatisfaction with the performance of the existing political class, as they call them, to elect somebody else? And, and, and that is, I think we had to start, because this is because if you can't elect, then you have to go, you need a revolution. Uh, to do that, but how can you explain the need? You have to explain first the fail, first the failure of electing these people. Yeah, so, I, so, I'm, yeah. no, no, that's the perfect segue actually into your piece, and yeah. I, I'm going. To, it's the Lebanese predicament, which appeared at the Center for Global Policies website, and it, uh, I, you know, it's it's I think a very short and concise sort of. Uh, it's almost like point by point, why the protests are not sort of yielding fundamental change and also why there may be one community that's largely reluctant to participate. And the second point is where we had our conversation in Martyrs Square. You actually hinted at that. And we sort of, we talked a few minutes about that issue. So I'll leave that to later, but let's start at the beginning. Your piece opens up with with a question. Recent protests in Lebanon have shown a strong and widespread rejection of the status quo in the country's politics. But if that is the case, why do voters in the country seem to keep electing the same political parties and leaders they think are corrupt and incompetent? And you offer two points. The first is that the electoral law may be challenging, but that doesn't really offer a clear and concise answer as to that. That still does not explain why the usual suspects are brought back. And the second point is sectarian quotas that everyone seems to be screaming and shouting about. Yeah. But even then, that doesn't offer a fundamental answer. So if you don't mind, let's let's go into both. But in terms of where the appetite is for change, and let's start with electoral law. Do you see that as changing anytime soon? Even, even when it's always debated, even when protesters are sort of bringing it up regularly. I mean, do you see that happening after a year of pushing for reform? In a way... We can reform the system if we really wanted to. But what is it about electoral law that yeah. keeps it sort of stagnating the way it is? Yeah, I, I, I offer this explanation not to agree with it. I offer it as a, mm. as a the garden variety of explanations, the cliche okay. explanations of why <laughs> we can't change that. So I, yeah. I think it plays a role in mm. the same way the Electoral College in the U.S. plays a role in getting a president without right. winning the popular vote. Right, right. Uh, that's also part of the electoral law that, that makes uh, uh, somebody gets elected while losing the popular vote mm-hmm. and representing the whole of the United States. So pe- things like that can favor certain groups over others. So the same thing happens at the level of the Senate as well. The Senate favors the Republican because it treats small uh, uh, as ruler uh, states as equal to being right. populated one who t- that tends to vote Republic, uh, Democrat. Right. So in a way, 
there are there are always these kinds of things. Electoral laws are are never. Maybe in Lebanon they are done tailored to the taste of the political parties. Although the political parties themselves compete, it's not like they agree. Uh, it's a bargaining. It's a it's a right. it's a hard bargain between them. Mm-hmm. But this will not explain. It might explain it, that the the playing field is not it's not plain. It's not flat between the contestants, but doesn't explain the, the, the dismal performance of the opposition. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, 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 it might explain that they are working at a certain disadvantage uh, because any, any kind of electoral law you would imagine would have a, a serious problems. The, the one that had the most serious disadvantage for emerging parties is the majoritarian one, which has been practiced throughout the uh, history of Lebanese elections until the last one. Mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. last one was not a majoritarian one, was a proportional representation, which should in principle allow new groups and parties and candidates to uh, seek, you know, achieve some level of victory because all they need is to get, you know, a certain percentage of the votes, small one, and they right. get a seat. Yeah. And yet they didn't, couldn't do that. And, and, the, and the, the question is, the answer that it's electoral law would require what kind of electoral law would actually make these people win? Huh? I can't imagine one. The most favored one is the proportional representation. Our Lebanon is one uh, uh, district, mm-hmm. but that also would have the same obstacle uh, for the people. It would. I can't see why this one would suddenly translate the votes while the last one couldn't do the same job. Uh, translate the votes uh, 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 into winning some seats in the parliament, significant number of seats in the parliament, not necessarily a majority, but not only one or at most three seats out of all of this. So in a sense, the the, the electoral law, uh, uh, I haven't seen a technical argument why an, another electoral law would actually achieve the results, why the current ones don't. Uh, all the, the complaints are the laws are not fair. They are not fair, but the lack of fairness does not explain the kind of performance, uh, the uh, the weak performance of the opposition, the anti-establishment groups. Uh, it and a, a, a more fair one in the sense it doesn't cater for one group or another. Although indirectly it might serve some groups. By the way, Birri is the main guy who calls for Lebanon being one right. district uh, without any sectarian barriers and all of that so there anyway i don't think people i don't think he's saying it only you know because he knows, he knows it's not going to happen as a threat that we're going to achieve more under this than under the current one so if you want to change the system this is our proposal uh, so i i think this this kind of card usual cliche explanation of the failure is not correct now the sectarian quotas in the parliament right yeah uh, it, also does not explain. The sectarian quotas ensure that each group community gets a certain number of seats in the parliament. Mm-hmm. It doesn't guarantee that the same political parties that the ruling ones are going to be voted in. You can always have the option of choosing somebody else from the same sect yes. that you think is not implicated in the in the corruption that's been taking place the last, I don't know, how many decades. Huh? Uh, so in a way that doesn't that doesn't uh, uh, explain why people don't vote out those people they think corrupt and replace them by 
people from the same sect that they are that are not supporting so the sectarian division itself in that when it comes to election day does not explain had there been a majority for change a significant majority a sensible majority for change this would have been made visible by elections it might not translate into majority in the parliament because of the you know uh, 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 the electoral law is not totally uh, uh, equidistant from different parties but it would have achieved a major uh, 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 one a major number of seats in the in the parliament so i i don't think those two explanations succeed uh, uh, in, in in giving us uh, a, a proper account of the of the of the performance of the anti-establishment parties. I, on the other hand, think there is something which can explain a bit uh, the, this this phenomenon and can explain also might explain also uh, why the revolution fizzled out. Okay, before we so, do, before we go yeah. there, before we go into the maybe the the potential answers for why we're seeing yeah. this sort of re- yeah. repetition, yeah. I want to gauge your mind on on the issue of the Senate or at least the debate yeah. surrounding the Senate. Yeah. This is something that's been discussed for way too long, and yeah. it's it, it's the mechanism is available. I mean, it's it's stated several times. It's in Taif, other places, and yet it never materializes. Would you put the burden there on? the is it is it a failure of politicians to not sort of establish it or is it something that you would maybe lean towards the population that we're not ready to put the issue of of religion or let's say or sectarianism or quotas or whatever in its place M- meaning that it would resemble more more like a Senate in the U.S. where states are equal, like you mentioned earlier. Are, are we not there yet, psychologically? And is that why it hasn't happened? Because I'm, I'm curious, it should be very straightforward to sort of enhancing the civil state, putting sectarianism in a chamber where it belongs, yeah. and it can debate existential issues, but not day-to-day affairs. Where where would you put the burden, yeah. at least on that issue? Because that's that's one yeah. issue. That's that's yeah. a that's a way of reforming the state, that's been sort of discussed, and yet that just never materializes. Well, I mean, the push for this should come from the parliament, mm-hmm. huh? uh, and there hasn't been any appetite in the parliament for such uh, change mm-hmm. because it can upset power. People might adjust to it. It's not like they will, you know, turn out to be losers. In it. But there is, hasn't been appetite among the political parties, and there has been an appetite in the street for this. It's not even one of the slogans of the demonstrators. Exactly. And I'm not sure it would it, it would be an important one. Take Iraq for example, just to compare Iraq with Lebanon. Mm-hmm. Iraq, as a sectarian ethno-sectarian division, Iraq, Kurds, Shiites, Sunnis, so, and. The, Iraq Constitu- the Iraqi constitution doesn't do quotas. There's no mention of any of ethnicity exact, right. or, yeah. or, 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 or sect in the Iraqi constitution, except for the Kurds, because they have this autonomous region, so they recognize as having, so that's a kind of a federal system of some sort, or semi-federal system, it's mm-hmm. autonomous region, with the history of being autonomous. But nothing is mentioned. Yet, the voting pattern for the Iraqi people has been sectarian. Right, Shiite yeah. votes yes. for Shiite parties without, and uh, because the Shiites are a majority in, in Iraq, they have the majority of seats in the parliament. And as a result, the, the prime minister, which is the most important position in the Iraqi 
state uh, is taken by Shiite, has been taken by Shiite, not by an agreement. It's not like Lebanon, the prime minister has to be Shiite. The prime minister is Shiite because the majority of the people in the country are Shiite and they vote for Shiite parties and the Shiite parties decide uh, with some alliances here and there about the prime minister. Right. So, so here we have a constitution that is uh, totally non-sectarian in that sense. Huh? Uh, and there is no need for a Senate in it uh, to, uh, to, to relegate all the sectarian problems. Uh, I'm not sure what would, and yet in Iraq, it, it, the sectarian voting dominates. Now, maybe it's the Iraqi system is better than ours because it might in the future allow for people to move away while from mm. sectarianism, while the Lebanese one in a way uh, 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 crystallized into the political order by the constitution, but it's not automatic. Uh, and it's not clear what would the Senate be. The Senate is supposed to express a balance of power between the sects uh, because they have two representatives in that, uh, in that, in that uh, 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 body. Mm -hmm. But the power between the sects in the street is not, on the ground is not equal. So, in Lebanon, there has always been imbalance between the groups, uh, unfairness in sense between the groups. Mm -hmm. and this kind of unfairness uh, uh, needs to be dealt with. Uh, rejecting sectarianism should not, would it, should not lead to us to be blind to sectarian injustice. Right. Uh, right. So, uh, if some groups in Lebanon there are sects have more power than others unjustifiably, this is not going to be at all conducive to the elimination of sectarianism. You eliminate sectarianism one, first by achieving a genuine just balance of power between the groups. Uh, an imbalance of power would always make the powerful uh, uh, stick to their groups because they are powerful because of their solidarity and they, those who are disempowered wait for the moment where they can actually emerge and replace the powerful. Uh, so they live in resentment and waiting for revenge. And the people who are in power know that and they keep you know, monitoring the situation that this will not happen in the future. So this kind of imbalance between groups will, will, is, a, is, a, is, a, is blocking uh, 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 you know, it's, it's, a, it's a block to any kind of uh, reduction in sectarian sentiments and behavior, especially when it comes to voting in this case. That's a great segue into unpacking right. potential explanations. And I'm going to quote you to you here. To understand the predicament of the Lebanese, it is helpful to see them as people trapped in a kind of prisoner's dilemma where reasonable people cannot avoid making non-optimal choices. The dilemma for the Lebanese is that it is risky for them to abandon or weaken the current community leaders unless they are assured that members of, of other communities will do the same. Without such an assurance, the group that abandons its leaders when others do not will emerge as a loser. We can start with prisoner's dilemma. What exactly you mean by that? And whether or not the tools are there to sort of uh, shield those concerns. 
Yeah, without going to explain what Tourism Dilemma itself as a, as a game theoretic model. No, no, but I mean, just in the Lebanese context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the 101 course. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> but but, but if, if you uh, going to go and vote, and as a member of a community, and you're aware of yourself as a member of a community, let's not uh, imagine something different because people do think of themselves to a great extent as members of community. Mm -hmm. Now, they are asked to replace their current leaders uh, because they are not doing a good job. Mm -hmm. Now, they think would other members of other groups do the same, get rid of their own leaders? Uh, because if they don't at the same time and I uh, uh, don't give my own leader, established leaders a vote, my vote, and others do, my community will emerge much weaker. Why? Because I don't have a ready replacement for my leaders, while the other community would not scatter its vote. If suppose it doesn't scatter its vote, my community will be much weaker, will emerge in a much weaker position than the other community. So for me to, to be able to not give my votes to the uh, uh, usual suspects, uh, usual leaders, I must be assured, at least to a certain extent, that the other groups were going to do something similar. Huh? So no group will emerge uh, at the end of the day weakened by scattering the votes. Huh? Right. Uh, and, and, and that kind of mutual assurance is difficult to give. But you can read signals of it. Huh? You can see what kind of uh, atmosphere is around it. The, the, the various elections in Lebanon that happened since 2005 at least showed a significant solidarity among Shiites for their established leadership. The Sunni in 2005 showed also significant solidarity over their leadership, but this has become weaker as a result of failures and defeats and all of this and mismanagement and what you want to call it, oppression as well, uh, assassinations, etc. The, 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 the leadership has become weaker. Now, further elections showed that the Shiite community showed still persistent solidarity with its ruling establishment uh, within the community. And now you're asking people to come from non-Shiite communities and ditch their uh, leaders out. While they are sort of assured that, or at least suspicious that uh, the Shiites will not do the same. Now the, the October 17th moment is important in that respect, because now we have a crisis looming uh, uh, with the capital control and the collapse of the, of the era. Yes. Then pe people thought this big enough, this is big enough. Even the Shia solidarity might be shattered. And now the Shia voters will, will not resume their uh, 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 regular habits of voting overwhelmingly. When I talk about Shia, I'm not talking about every single one. I'm talking about the overwhelming number. The votes that Amal Hezbollah get in the Shia community is above 80% huh, from the votes who vote. And uh, uh, maybe it goes a bit down, sometimes it goes a bit up, but it's a significant amount. By any democratic standard, least anything above 70 is, uh, is overwhelming support. Yeah. Um, and, and so when people go out in demonstration 2017, everybody was thinking about would the Shia go out? That was the question in the mind. Because 
we could see easily that the Sunnis and the, and the Christians are going out. You know, the scenes from Tripoli, from, you know, Jaladi, uh, from the Shabak, it showed that there is an appetite among the Shiite and the Sunnis, among the Sunnis and Christian communities for, for demonstrations. These are the three big uh, uh, communities in terms of number, voting numbers. Now, yes, the Shiite went out in certain locations, you know, in Sur, Kparuman, a bit of Balba, but the, the presence of the Shiite was shy. Uh, it, and it did not uh, 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 become bigger with time, it becomes sort of way as oscillating. Huh? Uh, uh, and people were looking at it, Is it, are they going to go out? And of course the leadership went out against the, the, the protesters and the revolution. And the fact that Hezbollah and specifically Nasrallah has a quite strong command over the Shiite community. He has a kind of sanctified, almost divine uh, qualities for, for the community. Made it difficult for people to actually uh, uh, prioritize their economic frustration uh, 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 over their allegiances. What happens then is that when people show so that the, the Shiite community are not uh, uh, going out in the you know, numbers that will ensure that the Shiites are in it, people started to feel that, well, now we have a communal conflict uh, rather than a revolution. Right. Some communities are not into it. And this started to, sh to, to appear in the confrontation in Shayyah, and other places, sometimes in downtown, right. where people start to, to, to see that communities are not on the same page here. And once there is a the, the ugly head of communal conflict uh, appears, people shy away and say, look, we don't want a civil war. Maybe, maybe the Lebanese didn't learn to love each other from the civil war, but they learned that it's not a good idea to kill each other. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, so, so they haven't learned to like each other, but they've learned something from the civil war. Uh, plus, the other communities think they are they are at a huge disadvantage militarily uh, in confronting the Shiites. Even if they want to do so, it will be at best destructive for both, uh, 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 or at worst destructive for everybody. And then the second option will be a major defeat for the other communities. Uh, uh, so in a way, once the demonstration hit the Shiite solidarity wall, uh, it uh, could no longer become a revolution. It's either it's going to fizzle out and go back to their homes, or if it continues, it's going to be a communal conflict. I, I want to unpack this further, but, but, but before then, um, we we were in Martyrs Square when a lot of this was happening, and Hadidi resigns roughly a year ago, plus or minus, plus a few weeks off, but he resigns after the protests begin. Um, would you apply sectarian sort of thinking to to the fact that he may return now, that the imbalance is sort of recalibrating a bit in, in that sense? Forget forget the sort of chance against the prime minister and the prime minister steps down. Not that, more like applying that sort of lexicon, if you will. Uh, the Sunni imbalance is now sort of finding itself once again under Shia protection. And I'm using a bit offensive language here, but saying that, and that this is a recalibration rather than uh, 
a sort of protest movement dying and the political class winning. It's more sectarian recalibration and sort of back to the old consensus way of governing. Yeah, but there is a structure of power. I mean, uh, maybe people will have find it distasteful to emphasize the sectarian thing. You know, we mm, are repeating mm. the same uh, rhetoric. But I think when there are communal injustices, it's not it's unfair not to mention them. It's mm, it's mm. not racist to go to South Africa before the end of apartheid and say the white people have power and the blacks are disenfranchised from the from the from power. That's not racism. That's describing the imbalance between communities. Of course, everybody thinks that was unfair and imbalanced. Now, so talk about races, races and sects uh, is sometimes needed for justice between groups. Mm. Uh, justice is not only between individuals, but also between groups. Uh, and that sometimes when it's lacking, it needs to be pointed out. Uh, not because we, want, we think that people should think along group, uh, 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 groups and see themselves only as members of the group, but if, the, if there is injustice between groups, you need to address that and talk about it directly. I think in the case of Hariri or any Sunni prime minister, again, the, 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 the protests and the revolution showed that the Sunni position is dispensable. You can take it out, bring it back. It's not fixed. Huh? Mm. It's under the mercy of the main power brokers in the country. Mm. Now, there has been a shift in the Christian community as well. Uh, that shift is not yet translated politically because we don't have elections. Mm -hmm. But the perception among most people is that the, uh, uh, the Aounis or the uh, Free Movement Party is, has become much weaker in the Christian community. Mm -hmm. So we have already a weak Sunni leadership, a weakened president and leader of his community uh, uh, has, has happened both on the ground, while we don't see anything like that among the Shiite, neither an overwhelming feeling that people are going to vote for them next time, uh, uh, nor that any of those positions are going to be removed. The Christian uh, uh, political situation has changed as a result of the demonstrations and specifically the, the blast, the explosion. Right. And oh, and also the Sunnis are seen as you know the prime minister is dispensable, huh? uh, 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 but the Shiite community they, we don't see any visible signs of a major shift in the sentiment of the people, at least not vis-a-vis -vis the main leader of the community, which is Nasrallah, and we and we don't see any change in the uh, official situation that there is position is not threatened at all uh, uh, until he dies, it seems, uh, but has no threat from the community itself or from the political structure. So in a way, you have, a, you have an imbalance between communities. Some communities are changeable, uh, both at the, at the level of who represents them in the states or at the level of the political sentiments in the community. And one of them remains to a more extent solidified. And that kind of imbalance makes it difficult for people to make the required change. So next time there's election, I would imagine the same phenomena to some extent will emerge, maybe with some change, with some minor changes that the Shiite will show solidarity, 
others will not want to even weaken their leaders even more while one group important group that's not a minor group that's a group that has significant numbers demographically as well as already empowered by an extra factor of having weapons so, so you actually, give them you give them you give them you give them extreme power over the rest if you don't show some level of solidarity behind your usual suspect let's go there and maybe we can address it in the in the protest sort of uh, and, and the whole thing that's happened the last year yeah, pushes yeah. for reform and and this issue sort of in the background uh, i'll quote you to you uh, and you sort of it's a it's a it's a section called missed opportunities in October 2019, people took to the streets demanding change in response to worsening economic conditions. The demonstrations evidenced a strong and widespread rejection of the status quo. They also provided an opportunity for rival communities to publicly signal to each other their readiness to turn the tables on their political leaders and thus provide mutual assurances to each other. Unfortunately, this opportunity was not taken up. So before we go further on that, would you argue that the, at least the first week, and you mentioned this earlier, it wasn't, I mean, it was Nabati and other places, you saw an unusual sign of shared experience that all Lebanese for a moment were potentially on board to sort of let go of the prisoner's dilemma, if you will, and see things differently. Would you go that far? Or was that all just sort of not even a fracturing of the status quo that it was just very superficial and i and i'm talking really the first maybe even the first days that sort of from tripoli all the way to nabatiye the images you couldn't tell where the protests were happening they all looked the same so is was that a moment of fracturing and maybe challenging the prisoner's dilemma or it really wasn't there well i mean it it was a, a kind of a pregnant moment in some sense it's it could come up with something mm, but mm. but what is the what kind of fetus would, would, would deliver is is not so clear what is the newborn it, it in my opinion this kind of pregnancy for the Shia community was aborted and as a result the whole thing was aborted huh? mm, uh, if mm. one community is not going to play uh, to the tune of a revolution it's not possible for the rest to, to play for that for that on that tune so so uh, uh, I think what happened Nasrallah, many, many Shiites who were sentiment and a great number of them were in favor of the revolution at the beginning. But then when Nasrallah came out, very, very suspicious, very, uh, not even lukewarm endorsement, actually coming as a, as a defender of the regime in some sense, people were disappointed, but yet it swayed them. Uh, right. And and there's a narrative in the Shiite community uh, to some extent. People ask me, but why are you saying this? I mean, there are a lot of Shiites I talk to, and they hate Hezbollah, and they hate Amal, and they hate this, and they hate Basil. Of course, they hate Basil. All of them hate Basil. In, in Bikaa, most of them hate Berri. So it's not really, there's no controversy there. But I think the, in the Shiite community, they're like, they're like the European community, the EU, you know, in the sense that the, in many countries in the EU, they make a distinction between the political wing of Hezbollah and the military wing. Mm -hmm. The Europeans think that the political wing is okay, the military one is bad. The Shiites have the opposite categorization. <laughs> they think there's a, there, there, is a, there is a political wing and there is a military wing, which is the Muqawa wing, the resistance. You know, the bad I'm, people... I'm, uh, sorry, I'm going to interrupt you just, I've never heard it 
done that way. That's almost like yeah. that's flipping it on its head. That's a it's a very useful analogy. Yeah, I think both both uh, distinctions are absurd. Uh, <laughs> Europeans is an absurd distinction because this political wing gets its orders from the military one. So separating them is 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 a bit of a gimmick. You can do that only for a short period when you are negotiating with the IRA. You you want you want you don't want to take the terrorists. You talk to you know what you call the political wing, but that's mm -hmm. only a temporary thing just to sit on the table and negotiate, but not as a permanent division. The Shiites yeah. do it the opposite way. They yeah. think there is a political side of Hezbollah. So maybe Hassan Hash Hassan is not good. Huh? He's 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 corrupt. He builds a big house. This is my 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 own community talks about him those terms, but. Nasrallah is not. And that makes it impossible to actually not give your votes to them because you're not giving your votes to Hassan Hash Hassan. You give it to Nasrallah, basically. Mm -hmm. Nasrallah comes out on TV and says, I want you to give your vote to this list, which includes Birri's people, right. uh, uh, Hezbollah's people. And that's why this division in the minds of the, of the uh, 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 Shiite community is also not very helpful. It's like when people say, okay, oh, the world leader is great, but the people around him are corrupt. Huh? In this case, it's more sensible because there's this division between the political side and those who are into the real fight, right. those who are protecting the world. So in a way, there is a similarity there. And I think both, as I said, both distinctions, in both cases, Europeans and the Shia community are, are, are not helpful and, and, and fictitious distinctions in some sense. Yeah. I'd like to go there with you, and I'll, again, I'll yeah, quote yeah. you to you. Although many Shia joined the demonstrations, their overall participation was markedly less visible than that of other communities. Fewer and smaller demonstrations took place in Shia-dominated areas than in Sunni and Christian ones. And you go on to point that there's two main reasons for that kind of reluctance. The first is an allegiance to Hassan Nasrallah in particular, and that one, I think, is probably the we can we can start there. But I'd like to also address the second one as well. That the empowerment comes from not necessarily demographics; it's an empowerment of of weapons and maybe uh, politics by force. But let's let's yeah. start with Hassan Nasrullah. Did his respect in his community over the last year evolve? Evolve in a way that it's easier now to challenge him regardless of your confession. You hear people screaming and shouting how much they hate him in other sort of community and majority sort of areas. From, if you were to look at the last year, do you see that it, there's a more, there's an easier sort of uh, ability to confront him from within or is that unchanged? That it's still the way it was a year ago and it's not changing anytime soon? Yeah, at, at least in the demonstrations we've seen in, in the Shiite community, we don't have this. Huh? Right, right. That's yep. more of a taboo there. Mm -hmm, you you mm -hmm. might have uh, some protesters in downtown mm -hmm. uh, who would do this in a, in, a, in a context that are in a situation, a location that allows them. Right. And this is a kind of, it's considered as a breakthrough, huh? mm -hmm. as a kind of, as a, as a, as a bold move. Huh? Yeah. Uh, 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 to to criticize him publicly, and the whole point of Kulun Yani Kulun initially was to include him, yeah. uh, uh, as if including him is something that you have to struggle with. That you have to like, instead of you know, uh, uh, 
instead of saying, okay, we target him, he's, he's, a, he's a major problem. And thing. No, he's just one of them. Right. And that's yeah. way of making it acceptable more. Yes. The, the truth is that for the Shiite community, he's not one of them. When I talk about Shiite community, I'm, I'm talking the overwhelming numbers. I'm not talking everybody. Mm-hmm. He's not one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he might not be doing what he should be doing against those bad players. Uh, maybe because he has other considerations that are reasonable as well. But he's not one of them. Mm. Uh, mm. Uh, uh, he's above them and, and he's powerful. Maybe he should do, be doing something. People in the Shiite community complain sometimes about the alliance with Basir. Uh, why do you want to ally with Basir? Why don't you get rid of Basir? Uh, right. But that doesn't imply that there is that, that Nasrallah is or Hezbollah is implicated in the corruption of Basir. But that they for other even higher reasons are tolerating this corrupt idiot. Let's say Hezbollah in general. Is it, is there an easier... Is, are the circumstances more favorable now to talk about Hezbollah the way you would talk about Amal, for example, or Mustaqbal, or Luwet, or whatever you want, that you can actually use that group's name more and more in the debate of reform? and Or is it still beyond Hassan Nasrallah himself? that the group itself is almost immune rather than that individual at the top? Well, I don't think you can separate them. I think that right. the group is, as I said, the group is not immune, even among the Shiite community, it's not immune criticism. Huh? Right. That's why right. when they do that, they separate. Huh? Yes, the, yes. They talk about even corrupt Hezbollah members who you know made money. Even Nasrallah himself went out and said, some of our brothers uh, are, are uh, behaving improperly by... Yeah. you know, accumulating money and showing. So he's above it all. And at the same time, he is the one, uh, 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 he reads the road. I mean, he he appears almost weekly. Uh, he has a direct communication with the right. people. Yeah. Uh, uh, he is not, he, it's true he's sitting somewhere in the underground, but he has, he, among the politicians, the leaders, he has the most direct channel with his people. Uh, and most of his speeches are directed to that base. Right. So every man, child, woman, older person sitting there, he speaks to them, to each one of them directly. Uh, and, and in a convincing, charismatic manner with lots of achievement behind him, a uh, lot of uh, 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 experiences that solidified this trust in him, it becomes, you cannot isolate the the uh, him from Hezbollah, and there, therefore, at the end of the day, he calls the shots, and people will deliver. Uh, whether it comes to not sh- participating in the demonstrations or voting for the list recommended by Hezbollah or anything else, it will it will uh, 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 always materialize. Uh, uh, in that fashion. So in that sense, you have this uh, uh, block, you know, if, and you cannot, def- you, you, you cannot dismantle the, 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 the system uh, while a big, the biggest block in that system remains intact. Uh, and the other blocks will, uh, uh, will become weaker, but you're not able to dismantle them because this will weaken them even much further for, the, for members of their community to tolerate. So in a way, that's the predicament. Huh? 
that we have now at the moment. It doesn't mean that if Hezbollah is removed or uh, uh, doesn't have any weapons anymore or not, uh, uh, no, Nasrallah is no longer a leader, something happens. It doesn't mean that Lebanon will become Switzerland. So it will, it will, it will, it would still be a, a, a long road for reform. But then revolutions like this one would have more chance in, of succeeding huh, under that kind of circumstances. But let's let's uh, go, let's let's go into the empowerment issue. That if Hezbollah's weapons were actually reined in, and this is a sort of like a, this is more imagination than anything. If, the, if that group's weapons were somehow, if if the group was disarmed the way all militia were disarmed after the civil war, because communities have coped in Lebanon without weapons, and I'm talking about serious yeah, weaponry, yeah. not not yeah. sort of yeah, toy, yeah. toy guns among kids and yeah. and and whatever, not not the basic arms, real weapons. Other communities moved on, and their maybe their their political leaders are ugly. They're corrupt. At times, yeah. they're toxic, but the communities also moved on. Is it just impossible for one community to move on and surrender its weapons without feeling deeply disadvantaged, or is it something that's beyond that? Because I'm I'm curious. Where I agree with you that the key to proper reform in Lebanon, or for that matter, fundamental change, means all communities are more or less on the same footing and weapons is not weapons are not part of the discussion weapons are gone and you can sort of deal with dirty politics the way any country deals with its dirty politics but why is this community why why is that insecurity so deeply embedded and is there a way out of that so that another protest if it happens down the road we wouldn't have to fall into the same trap over and over so i, I think there are two things here one is uh, the weapon. Uh, one thing is the uh, the weapons, and the other the other one is the voting behavior. Mm. Now, uh, imagine we can imagine the weapons are no longer there, but the Shiites still show solidarity with its leadership more than others do. Huh? Right. Yeah. Now, of course, if you think that solidarity among the Shiites is a result of the of the weapons and the protection of the weapons, then removing the weapons will also weaken the solidarity and put them at the same level of other communities. Mm -hmm. If we think that people in the Shiite are voting this way because they don't want to lose the weapons, uh, mm -hmm. that's one possibility. Now, it depends how they lose the weapons. If they lose the weapons in the same way the Nazi lost the weapons in the Second World War by major defeat and destruction of cities, villages, and communities, then definitely it will, it will emerge as a defeated community with all the malaise and problems uh, and suffering that will take place. So that's a kind of a different kind. Let's imagine this doesn't happen. The weapons are no longer there by some kind of a magical wand. They disappear, huh? but everything remains the same, huh? but they don't have weapons. Uh, how would this be? Initially, I think they will they become more solidified because they feel now they are exposed. And the weapons, like any kind of a power trip, you abuse your power vis-a-vis -vis the other communities. And you are scared when the other community, when you lose this power. So imagine this, you know, 
you 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 uh, you bully some kids in school because your big brother is watching and it doesn't allow anybody to come close to you and you keep on bullying them and then your big brother at some point wants to go and study abroad and you're still in the school and you will be distressed because you have abused that kind of power that your brother gave the presence of your brother gave you and that's a kind the shiite feel in their in their hearts that they have actually not treated others equally in that sense uh, they they felt empowerment at the very detailed level of fights between two taxi drivers their sectarian com communal identity manifest itself in who has the upper hand in this conflict uh, mm. uh, uh, that's between villages between uh, individuals and the biggest manifestation of power by the weapons of hezbollah in lebanon is may 7 2008 uh, right where right. it was and people think okay if we are no longer having this power over them what prevents them from taking revenge at us if not by attacking us but at least by humiliating us by mm. not uh, by 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 showing a kind of tendency for uh, 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 you know evening the score in in some form or another so we are and the second one which is even more significant is their participation in syria right if yeah. they think that also uh, 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 made them have blood on their hands, yeah. and now they are they will be more exposed without the weapons uh, if anything happens. So in a way, they have been implicated. Uh, I, I, the, the weapons have been used, endorsed in ways that makes them scared of losing it. So they are trapped in a sense. They trapped by the by the use of the weapons have trapped them into not wanting those weapons to go away because they are afraid. Maybe most of this fear is psychological in the sense it will not materialize, yeah. but psychological fears are real and have real uh, political implications. So it's, it's, one should not underestimate them. I'd like to quote your piece one more time. Uh, it's, it's, in a way, you, you end the piece with that psychological perspective. Uh, Although all stand to gain considerably from holding their current political leaders accountable, not all communities make equal sacrifices in order to reach this situation. In relative terms, the Shia stand to lose more than others by changing the status quo. They would lose their unique military advantage and whether their political one, which we just addressed. This remains true even though changing the status quo would improve the conditions of the Shia in absolute terms, at least when seen from the perspective of alleviating the dire economic hardships that do not spare the Shia community. Sadly and irrationally, however, relative advantages often have more psychological pull than absolute ones. So if we can maybe wrap it up with your thoughts on what it would take to match that situation, which we live through right now, with one that you mentioned earlier. Let's use the IRA. Let's use Northern Ireland as a, as a case study. That's a community that felt extremely disadvantaged, a community that chose for in large ways weapons over the political framework that was available. Decades of violence, of sort of an insurrection, and then Northern Ireland, nobody talks about it today. The IRA is history. The Catholic community found its way into the political fold in a way that's nonviolent, 
and the Protestants are no longer sort of uh, they don't they don't have that superior sort of British oversight backing them. On the contrary, Northern Ireland, in a way, moved on. It moved on from its sectarian quagmire. It moved on from its weapons, and psychologically, it seems to be largely heading in the right direction. I think of Belfast now as a tourism destination rather than car bombings and, and Sunday, bloody Sunday music that's sort of now in history books rather than on the radio. So th that kind of sort of pacifying a conflict that in some ways mirrors ours, is there a psychological component that's missing right now? Well, no, I think the the uh, North Ireland uh, conflict lasted for a long time, and people were were, were trapped also in these kinds of psychological sure. fears and and you know narratives. Uh, the uh, the solution came from the you know uh, uh, region, even global agreement. You know, the uh, Americans course, played a big role. You know, in, in, in giving assurances to the uh, uh, you know the, the Irish. You know, uh, 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 you know that that they will back Absolutely. their cause in some sense and making sure that the settlement is fair. Now things like that could happen here. Uh, uh, the external uh, players are not there yet in the right mode. If something changes in Iran, uh, you might see a different situation altogether in Lebanon. Uh, there might be uh, some maybe a chaotic uh, period on the psychological level people don't know how to make up their minds how to live with the new situation but eventually they will discover that you know things are not that bad especially mm. the shiite community will, will their fears about their them being persecuted for what they have done you know would fizzle out because they realize you know we are we are still wanted of the country and we have still some kind of a solidarity among each other. So we're not mm. simply going to be, you know, taken over. It's a prisoner's dilemma in the sense that unless something happened from outside, in a sense, it, it doesn't, the, 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 the players are trapped inside huh? their calculations. And something could happen from inside as well, but I can't see it. The revolution was one of those possibilities of something right. happening. Right. The economic right. collapse. Yeah. Yeah, because the Shiites are suffering as much as everybody else from the economic collapse. Could have been an internal, you know, this is big, you know, this is the worst economic situation Lebanon has ever been in, you know, apart from the famine, in, you know, at the end of the First World War. But yeah. this is a serious one. And you would imagine that this could shake things internally. So in a, in a, in a way, uh, 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 things could happen internally. I, we, I can't see them now having said that this one has failed, uh, uh, it has changed other communities. The, the economic collapse and the blast made a political shift in the Christian community. And mm, most mm, likely, mm, mm. had there been elections now, that would have been translated into a major change in the voting patterns. In the Shiite community, this didn't happen for all these reasons I mentioned before. So it, it seems it will need to, it will take more than this. Uh, uh, and unfortunately, more than this might also be, by itself be be quite bad if it's done by violence. But but maybe there are other ways in which this might be resolved without much violence. It actually also maybe helps explain why the 
Northern Ireland troubles did not cease really until there was proper external understanding. Yeah. And the British were on board, the Irish were on board, and the Americans sort of pushed in, pushed through the Good Friday Agreement. So there, I agree. And even in the Balkans, I mean, it took an agreement in Ohio, Dayton, Ohio, to no, end took, a very... It took, it, it, took, it took a military force. It took bombing of, of uh, Belgrade yes. uh, uh, for a month. To, to 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 put them to their knees and for surrendering the top leaders sure. of the no. Serbian and others who were participating in this. So it, it, it took a, 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 a outside intervener in some sense to 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 break a kind of uh, uh, impasse. When it comes to Kosovo, absolutely NATO bombing and and all yeah. that in the late nineties. But but yeah, uh, it wasn't Croatian military. It wasn't Serbian. No. Bosniak. No. You had NATO involved, and you had sort of yes, yes. So, and I agree exactly. with you that those conflicts we don't know; they may have lingered on without that kind of external intervention. So, I, I appreciate sort of the prisoner's dilemma, but it's a very domestic dilemma that there is an external sort of story yes. at play, and Lebanon is held hostage to it. Bashar, I'm going to end it by saying two things. Uh, yeah. One is a sort of a bittersweet; the other one is more humorous. The first. Yeah. Uh, I was in a daze. I was. I had not slept. I was in a sort of almost like a zombie at my father's funeral. And I, I was shaking hands with sort of the usual suspects, people that I would not really want to see while I'm mourning. And it's almost like uh, you just go with the motions and you're unaware really of what's happening. And I sort of turn to my right and I see you. And Samir Frenji is sitting in sort of the audience and I wandered off where I was supposed to be, shaking hands, to sit next to you guys and talk. And I remember that moment. It's almost like these are the voices I'd rather hear, and I'd rather I'd rather talk to you guys than talk to the, these people. And I really enjoyed those few minutes we had. It was almost like an escape from tragedy. The second, my friend, is that I have expired immensely since I met you. I'm going, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I look horrible. But you, you keep improving. And I don't know how you do it. As the years plastic go surgery. by, is it plastic, plastic surgery? surgery. So, yes. <laughs> no, so I need, for you. do I need no, to no, like, no. Uh, do I need to stretch no, my no. face? How, how does this work? No. <laughs> You know, it's, it's the it's the good life in Lebanon, you know. Okay. Ah, but is it that? <laughs> That's a stretch. You know, you know, you know. You know there's, there, you know, there is one thing here, and the, the weather is good in Lebanon, and you know why? Mainly, oh. the weather is good because the Lebanese can't do much about it. You know, <laughs> uh, 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 so it's it's uh, you can always rely on it. Yeah. Uh, and that's and that's where I'm uh, put my bets. I put my bet on the nice weather. Hey man, the sunsets yeah, never, yeah. they never disappoint. With, with or without yeah, exactly. But I think, yeah, 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 I exactly. think the colors are quite colorful because we really polluted our country. Yes, yeah, that's, yeah. yeah that, we a could, fringe benefit to that. Fringe, yeah. Exactly, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I really appreciate yeah. your time sort of unpacking your piece it'll be posted yeah. on the episode in the details Thanks box and I let's let's yeah. keep let's yeah. do this again maybe yeah. 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 uh reflect on where things are moving down the road once more i always appreciate your yeah, yeah. It'll, be my, it'll be my pleasure, it'll be my pleasure. yeah Good thank to you see you thanks for listening and a friendly reminder to help support this podcast by contributing through Patreon or PayPal. 
All links are in the details box below. Until next time, I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan. <laughs>